Dear Father, we just ask that your Holy Spirit would touch our hearts. Thank you, Lord, again for opening our eyes, helping us to see how we can minister to others and how we can cooperate with heaven. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you will turn with me in your Bible to um, Philippians chapter 2. Let's go back to Philippians chapter 2 again, but let's start with verse 1. This is one of my favorite scriptures. You notice how it starts out. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count it equality with God, a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself of by taking the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of men and being found in the human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Well, the life of Christ is very inspiring and it is well worth your meditation daily, some aspect of it. And as you meditate upon the life of Christ, it will change your life. It will make you a whole different person. And it will give you love and courage for those around you. And so I would like for us to go to a story in the scriptures. A story that is, uh, it's found in, in Matthew chapter 14. And we'll look at verse 13 through 21. Matthew chapter 14, verse 13 through 21. This is Jesus' feeding of the 5,000. Now when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, and he healed their sick. Now when it was evening... The disciples came to him and they said, just a moment, I I skipped over something. Notice back in verse 14. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had what? What did this say there? Compassion. Compassion is an important aspect of Christianity. We see it exemplified in Jesus, but am I exemplifying it? Am I revealing compassion? You know, we're looking forward to being able to reach out to our community. Will the community see compassion in us? Will they see somebody who can empathize with them? Somebody who can identify with them? You remember when Jesus was going into Jerusalem riding on the donkey? 
uh, this this hold your place here. But you remember when he was riding on the donkey and he they were praising him and singing hallelujahs and everything. And when he got to the brow of the mountain, he stopped. And I don't know if you remember the story, but right there, as he looked over Jerusalem, he began to weep. Not with just silent tears, but he began to shake and just weep. He was just heartbroken. Because here was a whole city, a whole nation that was sealing their doom. And he could not do a thing for them other than what he was doing. He was doing the best he could reach them. But he was having a hard time reaching these people. And he could see the destruction of Jerusalem. He could see what was, what was ahead. And his heart was just broken for these people. Folks, God is wanting you and I to be broken for the world around us. He wants to give us the spirit that Christ had, the spirit that that doesn't treat with indifference our neighbors, that doesn't treat with indifference those that don't understand the truth, the truth about God's love for them, the truth about God's law. Jesus wants to touch us and break us so that we will become more compassionate, more sympathetic with those around us. So back to our story here, as we are reading here. So here he is in verse, I think it's verse uh, 14 that we left off, wasn't it? Yes, 14. So we're on 15. Now when it was evening, the disciples came to him and they said, This is a desolate place, and the day is now over. Send the crowds away to go into the villages and buy food for them. But Jesus said, they don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. And they said to him, well, we have only five loaves here and two fishes. And he said, well, bring those here to me. So he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass and taking the five loaves and the two fishes, he looked up to heaven and he said, a blessing. And then he broke the loaves and he gave them to the disciples. And the disciples gave them to the crowds. Now when they all ate and were satisfied, they took up the twelve baskets that were full of broken pieces left over, or still it was still good food. And those who ate were about five thousand men, besides the women and the children. So let's stop and think. What is it that we can learn from this story? Jesus had a crowd of people in front of him, in front of him there. He had been teaching them all day. Jesus was concerned for their welfare. That's the first thing we can notice. He had, he was thoughtful, he was mindful of these people he was trying to help. Now, they were out in a place where there wasn't anything for them to eat, okay? It was a desolate place, the Bible says. And uh, it was a large group of people. And he, he knew that they needed some help. And he told his disciples, uh, don't send them away. Let's feed them. And the disciples are saying, how on earth are we going to do that? Okay. All we have is five loaves and two small fishes. And what did Jesus say? Bring those to me. Bring those to me. Now today, you and I, friends, are confronted with people that need help. You know, this week I had an experience with a lady. She was a Buddhist. She is a Buddhist. Not a was, she is. And um, 
I was in the process of helping her with some things that she needed done in her donut shop, okay? And so <clears throat> we got to talking. We had to go to Lowe's and get some things, and we got back, and, and we were there talking. And I shared with her that I was a Christian. And when she told me she was a Buddhist, you know, I don't really know much about the Buddhist religion. I don't. I says, is Buddha alive today? And she says, I, I don't know. I said, I don't think he is. <laughs> I said, but as a Christian, Jesus is alive today. He's at the throne room, and he is in connection with you and me through his spirit. I tried to witness to her the best that I could understand how to. And I was trying to do my best to bring my barley loaves to Jesus and to share them with this woman, you know. But I really felt insufficient for the task. But I'm encouraged because, you know, this woman says, she says, I know you're a good man, she says. And she says, I could tell you're a good person. And she says, I'm a good person. Well, I didn't comment on that one. Because I told her, I says, when she told me that I was a good person, I says, I'm only good because of Jesus. That's not naturally my way. I'm not naturally a good person. That was when she told me she was a good person. And I didn't argue with her. Because I don't think she understood exactly what I was really saying. You know, it's hard for us to understand and comprehend our helplessness, our dependence upon Jesus. And of course, the world doesn't understand it at all because they, they, they consider goodness based upon their actions and, and what they can perceive as being good, you know. But we have to deal gently with these people. We have to find ways that we can connect with them to help them to understand their need for Jesus. You know, the Bible tells us in another illustration, and I, well, I will just tell you the illustration. Back when they were building the temple in Solomon's day, there was one stone that they didn't know what on earth to do with. It was in their way, and <laughs> that stone was just a nuisance for them. It was there for more than just a week or two or a month. In fact, it was there, I think, for maybe a year or so or a few years. And it was just a nuisance to them. But finally, when they came to the point where they had to lay the cornerstone, they looked and they searched and they could not find a stone. And finally, finally, they realized this stone that was there was the one that fit. So then they tested it. It had already withstood extremes in temperature. They tested it with pressure and it passed every test that they put on it. And when they took it to the place, it fit perfectly where it needed to be. Now, Jesus referred to this. Well, actually, it wasn't Excuse me. Yeah, Jesus did refer to it, but also Simeon referred to this when he was when Jesus was a, uh, dedicated in the temple. Uh, in the temple, there, Jesus Simon had had referred to in prophecy how this cornerstone would be an offense, an offense to many. And and so Jesus referred to, except you fall on this stone and are broken, he says you will have no life, no life in you. But if you don't fall on that stone and be broken, then the stone will fall on you and grind you to powder. Now, <laughs> that doesn't sound like a very pleasant thing, but the truth of the matter is, is that Christ was the offense that actually was the destruction, you might say, of Jerusalem because either they accepted him and accepted eternal life or they rejected him, which meant they accepted eternal death, which was their destruction. And so God is calling you and I to reach out to people in the world. And that reaching out to them is going to either help them to be broken or it's going to grind them to powder. 
But now we need to understand how to do this intelligently. Okay? There is a statement here I found. <laughs> well, you need to understand this. Um, this is taken from gospel workers. It says, The world is out of joint. And as we look at the picture, the outlook seems discouraging. But Christ greets with hopeful assurance the very men and women who cause us discouragement. Did you hear that? Christ looks upon men and women who cause us discouragement. He looks upon them with hope. Let me read it one more time. But Christ greets with hopeful assurance the very men and women who cause us discouragement. It's uh, years ago, my, my wife had a Sabbath school class and there was this one little boy. He was just a, a nuisance. He, just, he was always causing trouble in class. And I can remember her coming home from class and it's like she was just frustrated with this, this kid. <laughs> but what did, this, what did this paragraph or this sentence I just read, what did it say? Christ looks with hopefulness. It says, Christ looks with great hope, a hopeful assurance for the very men and women who cause us discouragement. You see, there's another statement in Desire of Asia that says, every soul is so precious and so valuable that worlds sink into insignificance in comparison to the value of that one soul. You see, God is wanting to give us spiritual eyesight, spiritual perception, so that we see men and women in a different way. We see them with hopefulness. We, we don't just give up on them because they're so rough and un, uncoosed. <laughs> we don't give up on them just simply because they are objectionable to us, maybe, in some way or another. I, I, although sometimes I'm around men in my work and I think, man, I wish they could control their mouth. <laughs> you know? But these are men and women that God is seeking to save. You and I need skill that only the divine healer can give. Let me read on with this statement because it gives out some important ideas. It says, in, in them he sees qualifications that will enable them to take a place in his vineyard if they will constantly be learners, learners through his providence. Now, here, is, here she's referring to actually people, Christian people, who can be laborers together with him in his vineyard, which would apply to us, Okay. He sees qualifications in us here in this congregation that we can be used in his vineyard. So it goes on, it says, If they will constantly be learners, through his providence, he will make them men and women fitted to do a work that is not beyond their, their capabilities. Through the impartation of the Holy Spirit, he will give them power of utterance. So what is God how is God going to do, how is God going to do this? Through the Holy Spirit. Through the Holy Spirit. Now there's another statement in Desire of Ages. It says, the reason why we don't see more manifestations of the Holy Spirit is because we want to manage ourselves. So 
you and I have got to come to the point to where we trust God so much so that we will allow him to use us in whatever capacity he wants to use us. We will not be afraid of him putting us in a position that he won't supply our needs. You know, you have to think about this. God didn't call the qualified, but God qualifies the called. You see? So we have to learn that God can, if God calls us, he can use us and he has a way. You might look at what you have and you might think, what is five barley loaves to so large a group of people? What are my talents in reference to the great need that is in, is in front of me? How can I reach this soul? I have no clue. But don't forget Nehemiah when he was there in the, before the king and the king prayed him, what's ailing you, Nehemiah? What did he do? He prayed. He prayed and then he responded to, to the king's question. So don't forget, when we are confronted with problems, cast your care upon him. Look to him. And if you're spending time with him daily, he will have a solution for your problem. It might not seem relevant at the moment, but he's going to make it clear how you can help. You know, this statement goes on, and I think it's really important. I'm, I'm going to try to make sure I finish this because it's, there's more to this. It says that uh, many of the barren and unworked fields must be entered by beginners. I like this part of it. Do some of you feel like you're a beginner in soul winning? Yeah, probably most of us do. But it says these fields have to be entered by beginners. The brightness of the Savior's view of the world will inspire confidence in many workers who, if they could begin in humility and put their hearts into the work, they will be found to be the right men for the time and the place. Christ sees the misery and the despair of the world, the sight of which would, excuse me, the sight of which would bow down some of our workers of large capabilities with a weight of discouragement that would be so great that they would not know how even to begin the work of leading men and women to the first round of the ladder. So there are those who have training and have experience, and yet the, the task before them is so daunting that they don't even know how to help these folks to get their foot on the first round of the ladder. Then it goes on. It says that these... Oh, excuse me, I'll find my spot here again. These precise methods are of little value. In other words, these folks that, that have all this training and have all this experience, more so the training, okay, they have precise methods. And let me, let me back up a little bit. Christ sees all the misery and despair of the world and the sight of which would, the sight of which will bow down some of our workers of large capabilities with a weight of discouragement so great that they would not know how even to begin the work of leading men and women to the first round of the ladder. Their precise methods are of little value. They would stand above the lower rounds of the ladder saying, come up where we are, but the poor souls do not know how to put their feet on the ladder. Okay, So, so here you have this picture. These poor people, they are so ignorant, they are so, they're so uh, 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 helpless in a sense, they don't know how to help themselves. 
And so God is calling for you and I, somebody who can identify with these people. He's calling for us to help these folks. It goes on, Christ's heart is cheered by the sight of those who are poor in every sense of the term. Cheered by his view of the ill-used ones who are meek. Cheered by the seemingly unsatisfied hungering after righteousness. By the inability of many to begin. He welcomes, as it were, the very condition of things that would discourage many ministers. He He corrects our erring piety. He gives us the burden of the work for the poor and the needy. In the rough places of the earth, to men and women who have hearts that can feel for the ignorant and for those who are out of the way. The Lord teaches these workers how to meet those whom he wishes them to help. They will be encouraged as they see doors open for them to enter places where they can do medical missionary work. Having little self-confidence, and of course some of this doesn't always apply to all of our application, but if you notice carefully, the key thought here is being willing. That's the key thought. And then the second key thought is caring about other people. It says, as their their hands may be rough and unskilled, but their hearts are susceptible to pity. They are filled with an earnest desire to do something to relieve the woe that is so abundant. And Christ is present to help them. He works through those who discern mercy and misery, gain and the loss of all things. When the light of the world passes by, privileges appear in hardships, order in confusion, and the success and wisdom of God and that which has seemed to be a failure. <laughs> Folks, did you catch that? There are, there are a lot of things that seems to us to be completely opposite of what we wish they were. You see, you notice one of the things that says, Christ is present to help them. He works through those who discern mercy and misery. He, he, uh, <laughs> ah, I touched my iPad and of course it jumped up. He, he seeks to use those who see gain in the loss of all things. So God is trying to use us in a way so that we can somehow or another reach out to people in our neighborhood. And, you know, they're not all poor. Some of them are wealthy, okay? So whatever God is going to do for you, I don't know what God's gonna, how God's going to use you. I don't know who your neighbor is. I don't know who your circumstances are. You know, this, this past week I got put in a, a situation with a Buddhist. Well, that's kind of unusual for me. You know, much of my experience has been with Seventh-day Adventists. And, of course, the last few years I've been working more and more with non-Adventists. But... Uh, you know, it's uh, it's an experience that the Lord is training me to be able to witness and to work with other people. So the Lord wants to use you in some way, whether it's your family or whether it's your neighbors, whether it's your church members. God is wanting to use us to help those around us. And, and so we need to expect him. You know, we can ask him, say, Lord, please help me to be a witness for you. And he is going to open a way for you to do that. Somehow, some way. Well, <clears throat> I want to look at, an, at another statement. This is book from this is taken from the book Education. And, and this is one that I have thought about many times, and I really appreciate this thought. So I hate that I've got I'm doing so much reading here, but bear with me. Those who think of the result of hastening or hindering the gospel, think of it in relationship to themselves. 
and to the world around them, but few think of it in relationship to God. Few give thought to the suffering that sin has caused our Creator. All heaven has suffered in Christ's agony, but that suffering did not begin or end with His manifestation in humanity. The cross is a revelation to our dull senses of the very pain that from its very inception sin has brought to the heart of God. Every departure from the right, every deed of cruelty, every failure of humanity to reach his ideal brings grief to him. And you have to say, wow, only the heart of God can handle that. You know, when we think about all the terrible things that goes on in our world, I don't even mind, I don't even want to watch the news. You know, it, God bears it all. He bears it all, folks. And we we need to see ourselves as not <clears throat> detached from all of this, but we need to see ourselves as a part of all this, in the sense that you and I are here in the middle of all this to make a difference. We are here for a purpose. We didn't just get here by chance. We are here for such a time as this, just like Esther was called to the throne room of the Persian kingdom for a purpose. And that purpose, God used her to deliver her people. So you and I are here. You know, Ellen White uses a statement in Desire of Ages where she says, if a parent knew that her child was lost in the cold, and someone comes by, and they could have actually helped it, but they wouldn't. She says, don't you think that that, end of, that parent would just be hot with anger? She, that she actually uses hot as their tears. I mean, it's like they are hurt because that is my child, and you could have helped my child. Every child in this world is God's. And you and I have the obligation to reach out to our fellow man. We can't say this does not concern me. You see? It's, it's easy to be comfortable in our church. It's easy to be comfortable in our homes. But we have to recognize that we are here for a purpose. And the people around us are God's children. They don't know it. <laughs> Many of them don't know it. Some of them do, but some of them don't know it. And we need to do what we can to reach out to help these folks. To help them to know who Jesus is. To help them to know the importance of his law. To help them to know that it's not just justice alone. But God's character is made up of justice and mercy. And so, I want to. there's another little part of the statement I need to share with you. As it goes on here, it says, uh, let me get to my spot here. God feels all of this. In order to destroy sin and its results, he gave his best beloved, and he has put it in our power. You know what that means. He's put it in our reach to help these folks. He has put it in our power through our cooperation with him to bring this scene of misery to an end. The gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. So, we cannot idly sit by and say, this is not part of my problem. 
I have nothing to do with this. No. Just remember, you and I are here for a purpose. We are here for a reason. And we may not feel adequate for the task that's before us, but if we will bring our barley loaves to Jesus, he will multiply them. And he will, in somehow, in some way, use you. But the key here is to esteem others better than ourselves. If you were in their place, what would you want them to do for you? If you had an understanding of God's character and you were ignorant of God's character, what would you want them to do for you? If you didn't know of the goodness of God, Romans 2, 4, the goodness of God leads us to repentance. If nobody ever shared with you the goodness of God, you would never come to repentance. If no one ever you know, reached out to help you, then you would be lost. And folks, God has put it in our power to reach out to these poor folks. Yeah, some of them may be rich. They may not be poor in money, but they may be poor spiritually. And so God is looking for you and I to truly care for our neighbors, to care for our fellow men. And if we will love them, sometimes that's... That's all we have to do. You know, I, one of my customers is a Church of Christ. And uh, fine folks. They're fine folks. And I, I one Sabbath went over and, and visited with them and shared them, you know, my understanding of the, of the biblical understanding of the state of the dead. And they listened to me. Now, they didn't necessarily say they agreed with me, but they listened to me anyway. <laughs> Well, yesterday, as I was trying to prepare for this, these meetings here, this gentleman called me, and he says, uh, "One of my rooms is not working, and I he's got a if he he has to have a bed and breakfast." And uh, he called me before lunch, and I said, "Well, when I finish this job here, I'll I'll come and see if I can help you." And so. My plan yesterday was to actually sit down and create some PowerPoints for these meetings this weekend. And uh, I had actually been trying for quite a while, but I just hadn't been able to make it happen. <laughs> and so I thought, well, surely I'm going to take off on Friday and I'm going to make it happen. Until, lo and behold, I get a call from Karnak ISD Public School. Their heater in their gym wasn't working and their heater in one of their classrooms wasn't working. So I had to go take care of that. And then while I'm out there, I get this call from my Church of Christ friends that have a bed and breakfast in one of his rooms, and he had a full house, and he needed that room to work. wasn't working. So I went to his place, and when I get there, it just so happens that it was a Honeywell zone control, and the only one that I could get would be all the way in Shreveport. They didn't have it in Marshall. There was no place closer. I didn't have an extra one. And I took it apart trying to fix it, but it was irreparable. The bearings were wore out in it. So I had no choice but to drive to Shreveport and go buy one. So I bought two, though. <laughs> so I'd be prepared for the next time. But anyway, I came back, and I, I put it on. Of course, that fixed the problem, and it solved it. And I told him, I says, don't even worry about paying me today. I says, we'll get together next week. And I left. But, you know, those folks, they know I care about them. I recently contacted them 
with a uh, request that they would put up some guests that we have coming to the school. Uh, we're trying to get the school to uh, be credited, okay? And my wife said, Lynn is looking for a nice place to put these folks that will be coming to, to uh, look over the school to, for accreditation. And so she says, I was wondering if you could contact uh, the folks at Old Mulberry Inn to see if we could put them up there. And so I called Glenn and asked him, and he says, yeah. He says, do we need to feed them? And I says, no, I don't think so. He says, well, I can give you a good price, he says. <laughs> so I told my wife. She contacted him because she's the one that's got to make all the details, but I prepared the way for her. And, uh, and so she says, yeah, he gave us a good price, okay? So I said, great. So, you know, uh, I have, I've done quite a bit to help these folks. I, I've, uh, I have replaced all their whole air conditioning system in their main building and they call me whenever they they need help and i try to do my best to help them whenever i can and uh you know i have no clue as to what my influence on them will be you know in the long run but i I do know this that i my i do my best to show them that i I, i'm interested in them i care about them and and i'm and it's not just about the dollar you know but it's truly i'm interested in, in their welfare I have another customer out at, out at Karnak. He he used to be at the Karnak school. That's how I met him. And uh, he ended up quitting that job and going out in his own business, doing his own business. Well, he, he bid on a job, but he way underbid himself. And and he was... <laughs> he, he, he didn't make any money off that job. He finally did finish it, but it was not a good situation. Yeah. So he asked me if I would move the condenser for him. Because it was out there, they flood so much. They have these houses are built way off the ground, okay? And so I had to pump it down and move the condenser for him, and, and I would did it. <clears throat> well, when he come out, and I found out the whole situation, I took care of it for him. And, and then I, I only charged him $100, which was very cheap for what, what I did, you know? Well, he was so... So happy and so thankful. Uh, <laughs> he could hardly believe I did it for him at that price, you know. But, uh, you know, I got a call from him about a month ago. He said, I just found out my daughter has this disease, and I don't remember exactly what the disease was at the moment, but he says, I need prayer. And he was about in tears. And he says, would you pray for me, Benny? And I, so I, I had prayer for his daughter, and I had prayer for him. You know, and and probably about a month before that, his mother called me. And, and of course, they're not Seventh-day Adventists, and his mom's not Seventh-day Adventist. She's in a nursing home, I think, over in, in Longview. But she called me. She says, I'm really concerned about my son. She says, I don't know. She says, I know he thinks a lot of you. And she says, I don't know how you're going to help, but if you can help. But she says, I really would like for you to reach out to my son. He's always, He tells me that if he's ever going to go to church, he's going to go to your church. <laughs> Well, I don't know when that'll ever be, but anyway, <laughs> I keep him in prayer, and I and I ask the Lord to help me to uh, to know how to reach out to him. You know, so the Lord brings us in contact with people, and we don't know how we're going to influence them. We don't know exactly what's going to be the results of our friendship or our our, our interaction, but that doesn't matter. What matters is that we give Jesus what we have, our bar, our barley loaves. We give those to him, and he will multiply them so that we can help 
our neighbors so that we can help these folks. And so that's my prayer for you this morning, not only for myself, but for you as well, that the Lord will will help you to be of courage, good courage, that he will help you to believe that you can make a difference in this world that we live in that is a vast Lazar house, as the Spirit of Prophecy says. A vast, vast Lazar house or laser house. I think she says it's filled full of misery. And it is true. You know, there is someone in a, there is some Christian being martyred about every three to five minutes in the world today. It's hard for us to conceive, but it is happening. The voice of the martyrs is where you can find that information. And folks, Jesus wants to bring this nightmare to a close. But he can't do it without you. Oh yeah, he can. And he will if you don't cooperate. But he wants to do it with you. You follow what I'm saying? He wants to do it with you. And he needs you. He needs me. And you and I can make a difference. If we will just give him full control. And stop slapping his hands because he's using us in some way that we don't like it. You know? Help us, Jesus, to surrender to you. Help us to let you manage us so that your spirit can use us. You know, Romans 8.14 says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. The Spirit of God wants to use you. The Spirit of God wants to lead you. And the Spirit of God wants to touch hearts through your heart, through your lips, through your hands, through your eyes. Shall we pray? Father in heaven, it's hard for us to really comprehend the power that you have and what you're really wanting to do with us. But Lord, we, we grasp it just a little bit and we seek to cooperate with you. Lord, we thank you for the scriptures and the lessons that it teaches us. And we thank you for your help so that we can know how to cooperate with you so that you can use us to save our fellow men. Thank you, Lord, for your patience with us and our unbelief. And thank you for your healing for us so that our hearts were filled with gratitude and praise. This I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.